0: you how um, much i look forward to this seems sometimes that um when i teach or somebody else is teaching and whatnot and, and then there's a lot of things go on afterwards and whatnot i i kind of lose my perspective on um, how wonderful my god is and I, I rush home to whatever awaits at home and um sometimes just don't spend time letting my mind and my heart rest on how very safe we have, And so that was kind of the plan this morning, that we would uh, get into the Word, and um, then we would follow it for the time of singing. I I want to call your attention to the bulletin, and to the artwork in the bulletin. Elijah, the Holy One I'm going to be preaching on. And uh, what part of the subject is going to be, and be the schemes of the devil. And uh, you can see him there. And I mentioned to him that the devil doesn't always come across looking very bad. He comes across looking very good sometimes. He's an angel of light sometimes. And so we got him here. Half of him is alright. The other half of him is not so good. One half of him has a light. One half and half a horn. And I appreciate that depiction. And then down below, you might kind of guess the division of people on the bottom of the picture. Talk about that one more. (laughs) The whole honor of God is the title of, in my Bible, as it breaks into this paragraph here in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Now it's interesting when we teach through a book and we kind of make it, um, we break it all up and we try to take little passages and, and as we well we should because it takes a long time to, to really grasp it and understand it. But if we're going to read right through the book of Ephesians, when you arrive at this point, talks about the armor of God that he hasn't talked about in the whole chapter, in the whole book, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. It's just a conclusion. It's a wrap-up of the truths that he's presented in the book. The armor, when you read down through it, truth, righteousness, gospel peace, faith, salvation, they're the main Said it's really, really, really important um, that we put this on our arm. And then he goes on to say why it's so important. He said, because As I was saying, um, where was I? (laughs) Very, very, very important that we put on this armor, that we wear it, that we live it, that it becomes part of our life and it is these things of truth and righteousness and the gospel peace and faith and salvation and then he tells us why because there are schemes of the devil the word schemes is in in, a greek word methodia which where we get our word method but it's a word that has not only with it the idea of the methods but of cunning of covert, of a predator sneaking up, and you're unaware of them. And so that's the word he uses, and he said, you have an adversary, you have an enemy, he's the devil, he's Satan, he's the angel of light, he's the morning star, he's the accuser, he's the roaring lion. Now, in this group, I would not take the time to go back and show you how real the Scripture points to the fact that Satan is a real, live being. In our culture, outside of the church, devil, Satan, that's kind of laughed at. In the Scripture, he's very, very real. Jesus knows he's very, very real. In fact, Jesus started his ministry under the temptations of Satan. Right at the beginning, Satan took him out and said, listen, I know you have a goal. I, I, I know you're here for a purpose. But whatever it is, let me show you what you can have. And he shows him the reign that Satan is presently under, has, and he offers it to Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, refuses him. But all through Scripture, we see that Satan is real. He's real, he's powerful, and our own strength, we're no match for him. He has schemes, 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 and more schemes. When I first looked at this passage, I thought, well, you know, maybe we'll talk about all those schemes. And I started trying to list schemes of the devil. And what I found myself doing was listing things that are very overt, very obvious. Uh, things that Satan uses in our culture, Satan uses in our world, Satan uses um, in, our, in our communities, in our lives, to get us off track. And, and you, I, I started making a list of those things. And I, 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 have, I have a list of them written down here. But I am not even going to read those things because... Uh, we kind of get stuck on them say, oh, yeah, that, that, that one, yeah, that's, mm, those, that's of the devil, that, that thing right there, or that scheme is of the devil. Yes, it is, but the schemes that probably affect you and I as believers are under the surface. They're a little out of sight. Now, we do know that he tells us one of the schemes of the devil is to have wolves inside the church false prophets, false teachers. So we do need to be really aware of that. That really gets close to home. And so we really need to search the Scriptures, understand the Bible, understand what the Scriptures speak, so that that we can have our truth, our doctrine, our teaching on solid ground, on biblical truth. Because there are people that sound so good they might be on tv they might be in the community they might for what for whatever reason they're there and we need to be careful we need to have wisdom to be able to understand that they're not speaking the truth because the lord tells us there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing and they're going to pervert the gospel they're going to pervert truth and usually how they do it is not very all out confronting. It's taking Scripture and misinterpreting, misapplying it, pulling things out of context, building a system that suits themselves, and it has all the trappings of Christianity. It has all the same words. It has Jesus. It has Savior. It has Christ. It has born again. It has all those those words come with it, but it is desperately deceitful and misses the mark. So, that's one of the schemes of the devil, and, and it's, a, it's one that we need to be very careful of. The other thing that I need to know about the schemes of the devil is that they're tailor-made. He has schemes for me that may not be a scheme for you. He may have a pitfalls for you that wouldn't wouldn't phase me but he has those for me that he thinks will make me stumble and draw me away from my Savior draw draw the joy out of my life draw me away from loving the lord draw me away from loving others draw me away from service take the song out of my heart because he hates that you see it was before you are in Christ, before you are saved, you're not a target of Satan. You're in his camp. But when you become in Christ, when you trust Christ as your Savior, that's when he comes. That's when he comes with these schemes. That's who they're designed for. I was reading a commentary on this this week or past week, and... And uh, one of the things that caught my attention was the writer said, Satan cannot attack God, but he can attack his children. He can get to God through his children. And I I thought about that, because for Patty and I, you could, uh, we could, have a lot of bad circumstances. We could could go through some really tough things. And I think we would be all right. With God's grace, we could go through those things. But when our children are attacked, when Satan attacks our children, oh, how that breaks our heart. Oh, how that breaks our heart. You see, Satan can get at God through his children. And I I just took a mental note of that, and I thought to myself, well, self, how about not letting Satan get to God through me? How about me being a little more concerned about resisting the schemes of the devil? Because I love my Savior, and I don't want Satan trying to get to him through me. Just a thought. But if we're no match for him, if the schemes of the devil are too complicated, too subversive, too powerful, too complicated for us to defend, be able to defend against in our own flesh, then how do we do it? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and I want to share something with you that's really, really been making an impression on my heart in the last year. So I was kind of excited about, to bring this message to you this morning because it's been something that I've been struggling with. I look at this verse, in verse 10 it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. First of all, he says finally, and that's in conclusion, that that he's wrapping up the book. He's just going back and saying what I said earlier he's going to summarize and put this into a word picture with armored force but he said be strong in the Lord and as I look at that I say being in the Lord is what I am I've been born again I have a new I am a new man living in an old sinful habit-filled body so I'm not I'm not sinless in the sense that I'm separated from it. So I I still struggle with it. I still struggle with temptations and all. But my new man is forgiven. My new man is in a right relationship with God. And I can live that way in my conscious living every day. I can live in relationship with God. I can live in communion with God, even though I'm not perfect, even though I sin, because that's been taken care of. I've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. So he says, so that's who I am. I am in the Lord. I am in Christ. But that's not enough. Because this verse says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Him. Not just in Him, but be strong in Him. Have the energy Have the motivation, have the wherewithal to flee temptation, to be obedient, have the wherewithal to love God, have the wherewithal to love others, be strong in the Lord. And he says, in addition to that, it's not in addition, it's just another way of saying it, and in the strength of his might and in the strength of his might. So, I'm to be strong in the Lord, I'm in Christ, I'm to be strong in the Lord, my own determination, my own self-will, my own self-discipline will not keep me from the schemes of the devil. So what does? It says the strength of the Lord does. Okay, well, how does the strength of the Lord become my strength? That's the question I've been asking myself over the last few months. That's a nice sounding term, is to have the strength of the Lord. But here I am, I know the Holy Spirit indwells me, how do I have that strength? What produces that strength? Be strong in the Lord. How does his strength, his power, become my strength, my power? Because he tells us, you, you need to put on righteousness. You need to put on, well, that does some, there's some doing there. There's some energy there. There's some motivation there to put on righteousness, to put on faith to put on truth so there's some effort that has to go into this but where do I get that effort where do I get that energy where do I get that want to well we had an interesting example this week of power and for many of you you got your power shut off me I live in the big city no problem your outside source of power got shut off. So what was your solution? Well, I know what the solution was for a 98-year-old woman and her 70-year-old daughter who I rent a shop from and the 98-year-old woman is on oxygen and she has to have electricity and when they turn her electricity off, something has to happen. And what it is, I took my generator up there and we kept her house uh, with power because of our own source of power. We weren't dependent on an outside source. We needed an inside source. And many of you did the same thing. Well, well, what is the generator in our life that produces power. What is the generator? What is it? Now, if you think about this a little bit, you know you actually know the answer to this because you experience, you've experienced it in your own life, and you are probably experiencing right now, many of you. The greatest motivational factor force in the world is love. It's greater than hate. It's even greater than the will to survive. Love. Love is the great generator of energy for our lives. I remember when I was in high school and then college, the one burning desire that I had was to play professional baseball. Everything else kind of took a backseat to that. I might add. Now, as it turned out, even if I would have pursued that, at best I would have probably spent a little time in the minors and got tired of that and gone home. However, when I was 21 and finishing up college and having a a good college year in baseball, that was a very, very strong desire of mine until... She came along. And my desire to be her husband, a desire to have a home, a desire to live with her and provide was, it erased that burning desire that had been in my heart for years. Because love is a powerful motivator. is so powerful that I even sold my pigs to buy our wedding ring. (laughs) Some sacrifices we make. No, but you, you understand that. Love causes us to sacrifice. Love causes us to make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. Love can take things that were in our heart that were so important to us and put them on the back burner for the object of our love. That's the same thing that happens in Christianity. The energy and the power and the motivation to follow and obey my Savior is in direct proportion to my love for him. Now, I've had to face this. This is a little rough to face. Because little obedience means that there's been little love. The more love, the more obedience. The more desire to serve him. The more desire to to be with him. So, it's kind of a gut check. And you say, well, when it's all said and done, I need to confess that I don't love you like I should, Lord. Now, this is what's been an interesting discovery for me. Where do you go when you're low on love? Where do you go? When your love for the Lord has grown a little cold, where do you go? You remember we talked about this at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, that in Revelation, there's a letter addressed to them. Part of that letter of Revelation is addressed to the Ephesian church. And they were good in doctrine, they were good in service, but he said, you have lost your first love, you've left your first love. Where do you go to get your love back? Where do you go to fill your love tank up? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's got all the answers in here. We just have to find them. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me start with... Verse 7. No, let me start before that. It actually starts in the middle of the verse. Verse 5, but they have the thing in the wrong place. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace... God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, he's going to bestow on us. He's going to give it to us. Which he freely bestowed on us. How'd he do it? In the beloved, in Jesus. Somehow he took his love, he took his grace, he took his mercy, and he pours it on us in Christ. And then it says how? How? How do you do that? In him we have redemption through his blood. Now that's a pretty graphic statement, isn't it? We have redemption through his blood. What is happening? What, why is he using the term blood? What, what is that? Well, that's just a short, one word way to say the gospel. It's a short one way uh, one way to say Christ loves you so much that he came down to earth to live with you, to be spat upon, to be rejected. Here he is, the creator of this universe. Here he is, the creator of man, and he's down here living with him. And he's misunderstood. He is basically rejected by his own people. Then he ends up going to trial, and then he's spit upon and all the things that happened to him, but the main thing that happens to him, he becomes sin for us. It's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That is what we call the gospel, the good news. In the Bible, it's often just stated with maybe one word. Or in Psalms, this is stated with one word, at Calvary. Well, when you sing at Calvary, or you say at Calvary, what do you mean? You mean that whole process of which Jesus came to earth, became a man, took on our sin, went to the cross, and paid the wrath of God for us. See, that's in his blood. Sometimes we use the word the gospel, that's another short way of saying his death, his burial, his resurrection for us. Sometimes we say he was the slain lamb, going back to the pictures of the Old Testament. That's just another way of talking about the whole gospel, what Christ did for us. Oftentimes we say at Calvary, my burdens were lifted at Calvary. Well, on that mountain, there, that's what Christ did. He paid for our sins. It's often just stated, the cross. The cross. And as Christians, we know what that means. His blood doesn't mean that there's some kind of uh, magic in the. If you had a vial of Jesus' blood and you'd saved it for, from two thousand years and you took it out and you put it, it'd just be blood. When it says the blood of Jesus in scripture, it's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. It's talking about him going to the cross for us, okay? Taking the wrath of God. His willingness to become sin for us. The good news. God's love. Really, the good news, the gospel could be said like this. The good news is God's love from eternity past God's love in the present for you and God's love in the future for you how do we know that he loved us in the past how do we know that he loves us now how did he know he's gonna love us in the future because he because excuse me he went to the cross for us it's demonstrated that's what it said he demonstrates his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the whole idea is to take me back to the cross. That's what Paul is saying. Go back to the cross. Go back to what Christ did for you. Oftentimes I think that what happens to us, we go, oh, I know the gospel. I I was a little kid in Sunday school and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and he's my Savior and I'm getting on with life. No, we need the gospel now. We need salvation now. We need victory over sin now. We need the gospel every day, which has moved me to be thinking that in my teaching and in my preaching, I am going to find the gospel and I'm going to find the cross in Habakkuk. I'm going to find it in Leviticus. I'm going to find it in Revelation. I'm going to find it in every spot in the Bible, I am going to find the cross of Jesus, because really that's what it's all about. It's God's love for man, bringing him into a relationship with himself, so the Old Testament and the the Gospels had to go, they all look forward to the cross, and from the book of Acts on, they all look back to the cross, but it's all about the cross. Why is it about the cross? Because that's what is the expression of God's love for us. So when I get low, when my love tank gets low for the Lord Jesus, I need to go back to the cross. I need to sing about the cross. I need to think about him on the cross. I'm going to give you a little word picture thinking about this. Well, before I do, let me read a verse. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. And I'll I'll close with this idea here. Revelation chapter 20. It's the great white throne judgment. And starting in verse 11, it gives a pretty good description of what's happening. The book is open, the names are looked for and read. And then in verse 14, it closes with this idea. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Not only does the Bible believe there is a devil, the Bible teaches there is a hell. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Hold on to your hats on verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. i been thinking about this week. Me standing on the edge of the lake of fire. Eternity. Separation from God. Separation from my loved ones. Separation from joy. Whatever hell is, with all its pain and misery and darkness and punishment, whatever whatever it is, I'm standing on the edge of it. Picture yourself just standing there and you only got a few breaths of life between you and there. Just not many heartbeats when they stop and, and you be in there. Picture yourself standing there and you turn around and you look over there is Jesus on the cross and he's crying out to you and he said, No, 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 no. You, that's, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go there. That is judgment for rejection of my love. You don't have to reject my love. I am on the cross. I will become sin for you. I will take the judgment. That I love you so much, Jerry, that I'm going to rescue you from that. And what did it take him to rescue me from that? Coming down to this sad earth, sinful people, the creator of the universe, the son of God, and becoming sin for us. Wow. That's where I need to go back to. I need to let my mind rest on those things more. In fact, I need to sing about them more. That's why... We're kind of doing what we're doing today because I'm anxious to sing about those things. Let me read you the words of a song that many of you heard and it, I just can't get it out of my mind. And it came to us from down at the Getty. Well, we sang it before that, but down there they sang it. But just let me read these words to you. And then music people, you come. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ, on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then nailed to a cross of wood. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. Then it changes a little bit. Now the daylight flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the victory cry. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This, the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Lord, I would pray this morning that if someone's here holding out, thinking they can run their life better than you can, thinking there's a better day ahead when they can make decisions to trust you maybe or to follow you maybe, that this will be the day that they say, no, I want to stand forgiven at the cross. The victory cry. It is finished. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Pray for us as believers who seemingly so often have a hard time dying to ourselves. We just want to live for ourselves. Lord, we need your power. We need your love. We need to go and see your love for us to fill our love tank. Now, Lord, we're going to sing about that right now. And we're going to praise you with song because you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's actually start with that one. Can Let's start with that one. Carolyn, we're going to start with that one, and we'll do this one second, okay? I'm going to start with the power of the cross, since Jerry has introduced that well for us.